It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. The Betfair Exchange. More ways to bet, more ways to win. Proud sponsors of the Final Furlong Podcast. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by AtTheRaces.com, the ultimate online resource for racing fans. Are you well? I thought you were. Welcome along to the Final Furlong Podcast. I'm your host, Emmett Kennedy. It is great to have you with us as we actually have racing to talk about. Real life racing, not virtual proper stuff. And it is all Group 1 class as well. So we have to have Group 1 pundits, uh, a man who made his debut on the show not so long ago, to much fanfare, a huge reaction on social media, and I am delighted to say he is back to discuss Hong Kong live on Sky Sports Racing this weekend. It is the one, the only, Graham Cunningham. Hi, man. Welcome back to the show, my friend. Are you well? I'm in good form, yeah. Really good form. Very busy. Big day coming up this weekend in Hong Kong, but uh, no, all seems to be going uh, to plan so far. Fantastic. And a man making his debut on the Final Furlong podcast from Betfair, their international racing expert, it's Darren Hughes. Well, as a great man once said, hello! <laughs> Who's, who? Who is that? <laughs> I'm not sure of his name. Shout out to Golden uh, and all there. Hope he's well. So listen, we've got Hong Kong to talk about, which is fantastic. It's live on Sky Sports Racing. I'm very much looking forward to getting to talk to Graham about this. We've got Shatin, we've got proper Group 1 racing. But one of the things that you wanted to talk about, Graham, at the start, at the top of the show, is that it's odd that we don't have Christoph Sumion, we don't have Ryan Moore, we don't have international raiders for obvious reasons. But your point to me off air that you wanted to highlight was this is almost a glimpse into the future. I think it is. Uh, certainly for lots of European racing nations, Britain, Ireland, France, etc., and plenty more besides, uh, behind closed closed doors, BCD, is the way it's going to be for several months. Uh, I think everyone's coming around to that way of thinking now. And it, it's bizarre here. It, it, it never ceases to amaze this city. And I'm just looking at a nice piece by um, a friend and colleague of mine, Tom Biddington, in the South China Morning Post, just gone up online now. Uh, the blueprint is in the bin, but Champions Day will be unforgettable. No international runners, no star international jockeys, no fans. No paying public, no betting shops open. This is not what the jockey club had planned for the feature, uh, but it is happening. And bizarrely, because everyone all over the world is in lockdown, um, they haven't got any real meaningful live sport to concentrate on, to focus on, and especially to bet on. It's created an extra spotlight and extra um, momentum behind this occasion that nobody expected. But here we are, uh, two, three days away from one of the biggest days in a Hong Kong uh, racing calendar. And 
Um, nearly all the big stars are on deck for three Group 1 races worth give or take six million sterling. We'll talk about it on Monday, but the French racing authorities have announced that they intend to come back on the 11th of May, but we'll, we'll see how that works and break it down properly as we review the action. There's two race courses in Hong Kong. That's one of the other things that, that helps this situation. We're at Chatin. So just a brief refresher from your last appearance on the show. Where do you want to be drawn at Chatin and who are the real trainers and jockeys to be keeping a very close eye on? Yeah, really good question. Uh, the draw is not mega informed to Chartin. Uh, it's a big, flat, largely flat, galloping track. They often say uh, that the best horse wins at Chartin, and sometimes the canniest jockey wins at Happy Valley. Now, of course, there are unlucky losers at Chartin. That's the nature of racing anywhere on the planet. Uh, but it does lend itself to the best horse winning by and large. There are a couple of horses who have drawn out wider than they would have preferred or the connections would have preferred. Waikuku is drawn outside of nine in the mile. Thanks Forever is drawn outside of 11 uh, or 12 in the sprint. So not perfect for them. But I, I wouldn't be lodging uh, too many strategies around the draw. As regards jockeys and trainers, well, it's very clear that there is a, a major head-to-head developing here for the jockey's title between uh, reigning champ Zach Burton and his predecessor, John Marrera. There's only one between them, 104 plays 103 going into Sunday. There's a nice little edge developing in the contest now. There was a very, very tightly knit stewards inquiry, which Zach couldn't believe he didn't get when Joe held on by a whisker um, just over a week ago. Uh, an argument with the, the starter recently, Zach lodged, lodged a complaint against the starter, which resulted in the starter getting, um, how should we say, a warning from the stewards. So there's a nice little edge developing. Those two jockeys are uh, the aces in Hong Kong and they are on both the market leaders in all three group ones. As for the trainers, uh, John Size, John Moore generally hold the aces and there's a really lovely subplot for this weekend. Um, unusual place, Hong Kong. You have to retire as a trainer at 70. Don't know about as a jockey. We haven't got any 70-year-old jockeys that I know about. But John Moore, the big race maestro, um, is 70 this year. Therefore, this is his last uh, Champions Day. And he's got a, a really, really seductive uh, counterpoint between the old king, um, beauty generation in the champion smile, and the brilliant young pretender, Ethereal, in the sprint. Uh, one is super seasoned and experienced beauty generation. The other is still a bit of a wild young thing, Ethereal. Uh, but more of him later. The Jockeys Championship is absolutely priceless. It's been covered by At The Races as well. It's been covered on Sky Sports Racing. It's a really, really fascinating story. And Darren, just before we preview the racing, it's great to have Graham on from Hong Kong. But like me, you're working from home. Like all of us, we're all based from home. You've been studying Hong Kong for the last few days to get up to speed for this. But you do love this kind of racing as well. It's enthralling. It's fantastic that we have it. It's great that it's going to be on Sky. And the way Graham has painted the picture as well, that we actually have something to look forward to. But also, when you dip into the form, you realise there's some damn good horses in Hong Kong. Well, this is it, Ennis. Yeah, look, look, circumstances, we kind of have to get on with what we have. And as as you said, if we're blessed to even have any sort of racing on this again, um, I'd encourage anyone who's into the UK and Irish racing to get up and actually make an effort to watch this because it, it really is top class stuff. Like these, these are some of the premier horses in, in, in world racing and you know, they'd, they'd be every bit as good as what we have here and in some cases much better. So 
yeah, no, look, I'm really excited for the weekend. I can't wait for it. So first up, and we are talking about getting up early, 7.50. Uh, all race cards are available on attheraces.com. We have the Chairman's Sprint Prize. So 7.50 our time is this race. And there's a fascinating runner here, which is Athero. I'm going to guess that I've butchered that pronunciation, but to my knowledge... Ah, okay. So Athero is bidding to be the first horse of his age to win this race. He is quite a precocious type who's demonstrated a a great deal of class so far. Um, His trainer has been very, very bullish about him. But last time out, Graham, he completely blew the start. He did. Now, I would never dream of trying to correct your uh, facts, Emmett, but if I were to, I might suggest that Furry King Prawn may have won this race as a three-year-old way, way back. But it probably wasn't an international group one back then. It was a different frame-up. Hawking Prawn uh, is in there this time, but we should focus on a theorem. He's a very unusual horse. If he walked past you uh, in the paddock at Newbury or Cheltenham, you'd say, there goes a young Denman. He's big, long. Yeah, he's a very unusual... He looks nothing like a, a traditional sprinter. He's tall, lengthy, rangy. Um, unusual looking horse for a sprinter. And he's only three, what they call Griffin races here, and race horses, two-year-old races. And he looked very good right from the start. But he's had a checkered season. He beat the best 1,200-meter horses in town, and he beat them good-looking in the jockey club sprint. He blazed. He ran hard, and he kept running hard. And he was only a few ticks outside of a sacred uh, track record at Chartin, that sacred kingdom's track record, a dozen years old could well have beat it had he been driven right out. On that form, he is one of the best sprinters on the planet, no question about it. But with two bumps in the road, he ran a solid race for third in the Hong Kong sprint, just wore down late, so I beat the clock and Hocking Crawl. But he came back with an infection that kiboshed an intended trip to Dubai for the Alcor sprint, for which he was favorite for a long way. And when he came back a few weeks ago in his springboard race for this group on, it all went wrong from the start. He missed the beat. Uh, horses came across him, bumped him badly. He pulled like a Mustang. He was climbing all over the back of horses. He had a bump in the straight. It was gas in the final furlong. It was a bruising experience for a hero. He's horse in the race. He weighs 1250-something pounds, but he's the youngest horse in the race. And it had the feel of a, a really young, precocious, heavyweight going in against uh, the veterans for the first time and just getting roughed up. Now, can he bounce back? Of course he can. He's got what seems a reasonable draw. He's had a barrier trial since when he absolutely sluiced in. And if he jumps well, Perton will just let him roll and try to do what he did in November. But he's not had the seasoning and conditioning that was intended since December. And I'd love to see him bolt up. That means Hong Kong has a new uh, hero, a new star. But this is a, a pretty tough school, and he cannot afford any any wildness, any of that fiery nature. He has to break well and channel his energy in the right direction. He's one of the most exciting horses of the weekend, no question. And it would be a tremendous feather in the cap of John Moore, his last Champions Day, to bring a young, top-notch prospect like this back from a really heavy defeat. And it wasn't a points defeat the other week. It was a knockout. To bring him back off the canvas so quickly to win a race like this, 
would be a terrific achievement. It wouldn't be like me to balls up a pronunciation or a statistic, but yes, I've looked it up. You are indeed correct. Whether or not it was a group one back then, I do not know. But since 19 dickity do, no horse of his age has won this race. Let's go with that one instead, an old final front podcast bingo one. Um, the fact that you mentioned him being imposing like Denman and that he's a sprinter, um, not to be confused, by the way, not that you would, because the Final Front Podcast audience are incredibly intelligent racing fans. There is Hot King Prawn by Denman. Obviously not that. Ah. Obviously not. Yeah. Obviously <laughs> not that Denman. Uh, depending what, on- a, what a beautiful transition. Yeah, he is by Denman, who gets a lot of very fast. Hot King Prawn is a really easy horse to like because he rocks up and he delivers his best performance time and time again. Now, he doesn't always win. The form figures tell you that. 2-1-3-3-2-2. But he's in against the best nearly the whole while. He's a gorgeous grey horse. And he's got this amazingly chilled, relaxed demeanour. I think that helps his consistency um, and his durability. He had colic last year. Not many horses bounce back better from colic in the way he has. And he comes into the race in top form. People will look at his recent form line and say, well, he was beaten by Voyage Warrior last time. That race compromised him. It was run at a stupidly soft pace by 1,200-meter standards on a wet track. He just over-raced slightly and paid the penalty. I'd be really confident that he can take his revenge on Voyage Warrior. I think it's now, is it round three or round four between Hocking Prawn and Athero? Athero had the edge uh, when they first met. Hocking Prawn had the edge in the Hong Kong sprint and again last time. And I think it's... The, the bottom line here is that we can be pretty confident that Honking Prawn is going to run to his international rating, which, by the way, is 120. That tells you the calibre of force we're dealing with here. Athero, who knows? He's also rated 120. He may well rate higher in time, but he's three weeks on from um, a pretty bruising experience. And uh, given the choice between top and bottom here, I'll go with Honking Prawn. Other horses to mention, Mr. Stunning has been a champion sprinter here. People at home will remember Big Time Baby when the Rosa Stakes at York as a juvenile. I think with the Tory on board for Tom Daskam. He is a good quality turf and dirt horse. Went all the way to Dubai. Got to Dubai. Um, a few hours after he landed in Dubai, um, the meeting was called off. Oh. And he's back in Hong Kong on home soil uh, for this tough test. That's that's brutal. And that's <laughs> happened, obviously, to a lot of people as well. Uh, so your final selection in this race is going to be Hot King Braun, number one. I'll, I'll, I'll go for the safe, solid option. Marrera's on board. He's got a really nice go in store one. Um, Athero, if he breaks, will we'll definitely roll forward. Joe will have him in his sights. and We could bring, be in for a terrific battle if they both deliver on the day. All right, so the magic man for Graham with Hot King Prawn. How proud will Paul Nichols be if uh, Hot King Prawn can go and win a sprint for, for Denman? What, a, what an achievement that would be uh, for the great... The son of Denman beats the Denman lookalike, maybe. <laughs> Can we just get that on on Twitter, please? Can we get some kind of a meme on Twitter? Um, Darren, you've been going through the form of this race and it's one of the races you're most looking forward to. How do you assess the big matchup or could you see an upset? Um, I actually took a slightly different view to to Graham. I suppose it really is between the front two in the market here and and I did come down on the side of Atero. Um, Obviously, yeah, look, his his comeback run there um, this year, he needs to improve leaps and bounds from that and as Graham said he had a really nasty experience now probably is a quick enough turnaround from comeback from that but he just he looked like a sprinter on the up at the back end of last year and he's, he's the coming horse here 
Um, and, you know, if, if he can get across and get in front, I, I think he's going to be very hard to catch. I was blown away with his performance in the middle uh, last year. So, he's, uh, we, you know, I, I really think it is a two-horse race, but that's not really down the side of the table. So don't even bother looking at the rest of the field. It's a two-horse race. Uh, Graham goes with Hot King Prawn. Athero for Darren. I just think the fact that there is the age barrier, and I know that we hammer stats on the podcast. I do remember at Cheltenham, Graham, where you and Lydia turned to the camera and said, oh, the stats boys have taken one hell of a beating. One <laughs> hell of a beating. And, yeah, and I, think, it, I think I also said they should be made to attend the races in white lab coats with seven virals in the top pocket just to identify them, you did actually, yeah. You took great satisfaction in the fact that every single trend that you could possibly yeah. have, all the strong, got destroyed on, on one particular challenge. I believe it was the year Hurricane Fly won the champion hurdle and uh, Monju yeah. ended up being top stallion. And of course, Monju couldn't have a Cheltenham winner. They're, they're a good servant, but a poor master. One other horse to mention in that sprint, thanks forever, will be a decent price. He's drawn 11, not perfect, but he ties in very closely with the two horses we've mentioned. He also has blinkers for the first time. John Moore seems to think he can coax half a length or a length out of him by different uh, type of headgear. So just keep an, uh, an eye on him at a price. Thanks forever. But um, hooking for all, a on. thanks forever. Look the three to concentrate. So would you look at the possibility of doing an exacta? Because trying to figure out what prices these horses are going to be based on par yeah. mutual in, in Hong Kong is very difficult given the current circumstances. So if you wanted to go with Darren and go with Athero, which I can completely see the case, I just wonder about that age profile, uh, which is why I was mentioning stats. Uh, or if you wanted to go with Hot King Prawn, do you then decide either 11 or 1 and then put thanks forever underneath and hope to get one of them out of the top two? That is, that is exactly what I would do. Um, there's a significant takeout from the, you know, the win-only pools, etc. Uh, um, you have to show a bit of imagination if you want to win long-term on, on Hong Kong racing. And you're looking for the fancied horse who might blow out. Uh, it won't be Honky Kroon. I don't think he's likely to blow out. It could be a zero. His manners are questionable right now. So you're looking for the horse who might blow out and the horses who might run on from midfield or the back to pick up a slice of the place money. You're looking at Quinellas, Quinella places, trios, pierces, quartets, first four. Now we're getting greedy. Oh, I love those. I just love exotic vets, as regular listeners to the show will, of course, know. You're exotic. Say again? You're exotic. Surely, you must be the only man in... In, in, on planet Earth who doesn't know who Joe Exotic is. Hi there, all you cats and kittens. <laughs> I didn't kill my husband and feed him to tigers. His body's not buried underneath the sewage tank. Joe Exotic is one of the all-time great characters, and if you've not seen Tiger King yet, I don't know what to say to you. That series is absolutely bonkers, because it looks total fiction, and yet it is absolute truth. It's all it's, gospel. It's all gospel. Louis throws in a bit on them as well, I think that. He did. Absolutely. He's cracking television in fairness. Myself and a good friend of mine here watched this and um, the throne and stuff, really. It's one of the all-time great documentaries and uh, there's a bit more to come, apparently, but... Joe Exotic! So he, he's, um, I was mortified when I learned that it wasn't him singing on the country on Western tracks, by the way. But he, his real name is better than his, his showbiz name. Uh, if your name is Joe Passage Maldonado, you don't need to change it to Joe Exotic. You're already in good shape. 
Yeah, exactly. But I, I think, I think, due to how his father treated him, he he wanted to change his name. Um, Joe Passage Maldonado would be quite the name as well. The other thing that stood out from from all of it, are you saying that he was dubbed? Yeah, absolutely. What? <laughs> of sure. course he was. Yeah. But what about when yeah, he when he, he sang? Spoiler alert! What about when he sang that very beautiful and moving song at the funeral? Yeah, but that was terrible compared to the to the, to the overdub. <laughs> Maybe it was the emotion of the uh, of the deceased that got to him. I don't know. Yeah, the emotion of the deceased, and then four months later, he's married again. Unbelievable stuff. Um, Joe Exotic. Hey, how you all doing out there? Except that bitch, Carol Baskin. Right, so let's, <laughs> let's move on. Some of, the, some of the memes have been absolutely... It really has been absolutely priceless. The FWD Champions Mile will be 9 a.m. our time. So I suppose, if you're like me, you could go for a nap, get up and then come back to Sky Sports Racing and, and watch this race. Beauty Generation is the headline maker, for me anyway. Bit of a, a, a superstar. However, we also have an Irish connection. We have a, a UK connection. Well, Two of them. Yes. So yeah. do you want to take us through that then in terms of former Irish and UK trained horses and, and the mighty Beauty Generation? Yeah, well, let's start with the, the British and Irish. Waikuku um, will be well-known to John Ox fans. He was a very promising, unexposed young horse when uh, he was sold on to Hong Kong, and he's been brilliantly here. Um, he's only been here a couple of years. He was second in last year's derby. He's had six wins for pretty much two and a half million sterling in prize money, and uh, not many can claim this, in six head-to-heads with Beauty Generation, he's 4-2 up all this season. Um, yeah, not many can claim that uh, in Hong Kong or anywhere. Um, but he dipped last time. He'd been off the track for 11 weeks. Maybe he was a bit rusty. Trainer John Sy said he can't really put his finger on why. But he did dip. He ran an ordinary race behind Beauty Generation and Kai Ying Star. Kai Ying Star, we should touch on, uh, remembered as Cityscape. Um, he was thriving when he won a big uh, handicap at the Ebor meeting for Andrew Balding a couple of years ago. He's now Kai Ying Star. He's now a proven run, front runner. He goes up against um, Beauty Generation all the time, and he presents tremendous nuisance value because Beauty Generation is a natural front runner, but Kai Star isn't having any of it. He's six one down the Beauty Generation this season, but he has got close to him on his last two goals, half a length. And there's a very good story perhaps waiting to happen. This young jockey, not that young, late twenties, Antoine Hamelin from France, the Hammer, as he's been predictably dubbed uh, in Hong Kong, Le Marteau, as we should call him. Um, he's, he made a quick-fire decision. He got a phone call from the stewards here. They were short of jockeys. It was on the day when uh, the travel bans were about to come in. They said, you've got a couple of hours to get on a plane to come to Hong Kong. If you don't get on today, you can't come because of the quarantine, etc. And Hong Kong aren't letting any more non uh, residents in. He packed a bag, he jumped on the plane, he's ridden at four meetings, he's had five winners already, he's came to Hong Kong like a, uh, a little French duck to water, and he's got a very interesting ride on Tying Star, who's drawn one, will go forward, and will go well at a price. Uh, more than this, unbeaten for Richard Farr, he is a two-year-old, signed off with a Goodwood Nursery win, he's doing really well. Third in the derby, but he's a bit lazy, and he might just get chopped for speed at an important point. I think Kai Star is probably the better bet of the Brits. 
Why Cuckoo is a danger to all, but Beauty Generation is the flagship horse. If you look at his uh, data, 18 wins. That's the joint record for any Kong horse ever in history. $100 million in prize money. That's $10 million um, in sterling. Uh, two-time Hong Kong Horse of the Year, eight Group 1s, a formidable horse in, in anyone's language. Not quite so good as he used to be, no question about that. He's hanging on to a rating that he, he doesn't quite deserve anymore. But if you're making human comparisons, Emma, there's a very nice uh, comparison to be drawn with maybe Tiger or Roger, Roger Federer, that is, um, in that the old bones are creaking a bit. They can't monster the World Cup class rivals like they used to but they still have the craft and the skills to win majors if everything uh, aligns. And so it's a, it's a spellbinding prospect. Kayak uh, Star will go hard, I think, from stall one. Beauty Generation will stalk from stall five. Wakuku will come to call late from stall nine. And although the betting won't be um, very even here, I think the race might be. Beauty Generation, I think, um, recency bias, what have you done for me yesterday, as they say in Hong Kong, um, the fact that he's won his last two, I think that'll tip the betting public towards him. But why Cuckoo was doing a very good impression of a slightly better horse than Beauty Generation until last time. So given that, he's a massive runner. And Kai Star from the front, I think, will give you a very good spin as well. Uh, the ideal scenario from a romantic point of view would be Beauty Generation wins and is retired on the spot. Uh, but I don't think they generally go that way in Hong Kong. Um, they tend to spin it out uh, maybe for one more run, which could be in Japan if all goes well. I find it a hard race to tip in this because I'd love to see Beauty Generation win, but I suspect he might go off slightly skinnier than ideal. And I know that Waikuku is every bit good enough uh, to keep him honest if he's over whatever ailed him last time. And horses aren't machines. We've made this point countless times in the podcast. So just because he bombed behind beauty generation last time out and he didn't even bomb he was only beaten five lengths but sixth of seven yeah uh, there's every reason to suspect that waikuku is making the the right progression and also he has the magic man on board he does and the good thing about hong kong racing one of the really good things is that because 95 98 of horses are geldings connections aren't scared to have a dig and if one run goes less than well they bring them back, give them another trial, freshen them up, and go again because you're not trying to protect potential stud values. So the race horses, they're here to race, and um, size would not be bringing out Waikuku if he didn't think he was ready to run a really bold race. So I can't wait for this. Beauty Generation has been, he's been a, a golden thread that's run right through my three years in Hong Kong. Uh, he really got good soon after I arrived. He's still a formidable horse. And so I wish him well, but I, I do think I, I have a, envisioned this being at least a two or a three way go in the final furlong. And um, that being so, um, it'll, it'll really make for a, a special sight because we've got ex-British horse, ex-Irish horse and a Hong Kong hero. One, two, three in the champion's mind. Painting a fantastic, thrilling picture there is Graham Cunningham. Uh, Beauty Generation going for his third consecutive win in the Champions Mile. Darren, are you with Graham in your line of thinking here, or is there something at a price that you want to go for? Uh, yeah, I pretty much am. Like, this is a smashing race, Emma. I mean, like, obviously, I yeah, love the Beauty Generation going for, going for the hatchet. Like, you look down through the list of winners of this year. 
substitute generation of Asian wing, or sorry, not Asian wing, Abel Friend there um, for Moreira and John Moore previously, or extensions. Like, this is really a phenomenal race. It's, it's a who's who of, of, of world-class moilers. Um, I had a very similar view on this to, um, to Graham in the sense that I thought that uh, the generation wouldn't just get his own wheel from That did tip me, tip me in the favour of Waikuku, who I just thought he looked badly and needed to run latest. Like, if you look at his... Um, you look at his records, he has generally come on for a run, he has generally improved for a run off the break. And I would I would say that this is the same thing here. Now he did run probably one of the worst races of his career. Well, like obviously he probably still ran to a reasonable mark, but in terms of the standard that he set, he, he probably didn't he, he, it was on the poor records he's ever come out with. But um but if you take him to improve from that run and at the likely prices in the sense that I would agree with Graham that, you know, beauty generation is likely going to be the one that they come for and they can send them off any price. So if you are wily enough, you might get a decent price of Waikuku. And uh, I, that's the one that's going outside with here. So it's Waikuku for the three of us then, because I'm just going to follow you in blindly, gentlemen. And so, I've just found a really good quote from John Moore about beauty generation, which I must share with you. And, and it also uh, gives me a chance to plug something. Uh, there's a Twitter account called Horse Racing Planet. I don't know whether you're familiar with it. But it's run by two former colleagues and really good friends of mine, Nicholas Godfrey and John Lees, and they're really giving it a good dig. Uh, they're out in the freelance world now. It's a tough world, but they're coming up with some really good stuff. And they're quoting John Moore in an interview about Beauty Generation. Now, Beauty Generation grew up in New Zealand. He's a Kiwi horse uh, by breeding and early career. And John says about Beauty Generation, he was brought up in some of the, this is to explain his toughness, I think, he was brought up in some of the best volcanic country in the world, and he's as tough as goat knees. I haven't heard that one before. He's as tough as... Did you say goat's knees? Yeah, a goat's knees. Now, I, I'm not familiar with the goat species. I've backed a few goats on the race course. As but well. no, he's, uh, he's as tough as goat's knees. So, um, John Moore, it's his last major group one weekend, and he will be looking to go out with a bang. Just out of these three international group ones which take place on Sunday uh, over the years he's just won the 17 of them only 17 yeah ah, I mean come on John you could have done better in fairness in all fairness maybe he will at the weekend uh, two things before we move on to the last group one race that we're going to talk about in Hong Kong the 940 our time Beauty Generation, you've talked about how important that horse has been since you've been there. The fan base in Hong Kong, like Japan, seems to be very passionate. Um, mm. They've really taken to him. Yes, they have. They, they really have. Been. And he was a slightly slow burner because uh, when he got good, he wasn't... He was the second in from the um, the ownership colours. Zach Curtin got him wrong a couple of times, gave him away to Derek Lung in his first... Uh, group one Hong Kong mile, but then Zach got aboard, the consistency followed, the big wins followed, the 10 wins in a row, the flawless eight race season. So any any champion like that, and he ended up um, the highest rated turf miler on the planet for well over a year, is going to get um, um, A-list treatment in Hong Kong. That, that's that been the way uh, for a long time with him. And he's, he's not quite the horse he used to be, but there's something really seductive about an old champ who's dipped a bit, but can still go out with a big win like he tried to do. So, so something along the lines of Sprinter Sacker, maybe in the sense that yeah. obviously on the yeah. wing, but it still has that. And that that's really a good comparison. You, yeah, you know that those 
those runaway defeats of Group 1 opponents, just like the 2018 Hong Kong Mile when he just torched a world-class field. All the international horses were in town that day and they didn't see which way he went. But no, that's a pretty good comparison. Uh, unlike Sprinter Sacra, he hasn't had the, uh, the physical issues, the heart issues. He seems as, as tough as, well, how shall we say, goat's knees. Um, uh, but he's got a popularity here that's going to that's gonna make him a, a, a first ballot Hall of Famer. In terms of Waikuku and, and siding with him, though, against Beauty Generation, as we will cheer on Beauty Generation, but we're looking for a bit of value, is there a situation where you would play, like in the sprint race, where you would try an exotic bet and try and get one of them out of the frame? Or is this a race that you see as being too difficult that you alluded to earlier, that it really is going to be about the top three? Well, you, you can't discount Southern Legend because he was only just behind Beauty Generation and Kaying Star last time. But the head, heads are instructive. And I think in the last season, uh, Two seasons, Southern Legends had eight digs, uh, beauty generation, and he's never finished ahead of him. Uh, more than this is still slightly unexposed. I cannot fancy the bottom three, Singapore Sling, Fat Turtle, thinking big at any price. So I wouldn't get too clever here. Uh, I think the top three on the card will be the top three home. As we move on to the 940 at Sha uh, our time, this is the QE2 Cup. This is the race that will get most of the attention. And again, it is live on Sky Sports Racing. We have um, what I am told is a nutty front runner by Graham Cunningham. Surely, uh, surely an Archie Penko wouldn't be nutty. More on that to come. That's that's time warp. Um, and uh, there's an ex-Mark Prescott horse here as well with uh, Excellent. Uh, we've got an Irish mm. Guineas third in Irish Correspondent. And uh, as you mentioned earlier, again, the two main jockeys, uh, Zhao and Zach, will be very heavily involved here. So do you want to start with uh, Zhao Moreno, the magic man, on the son of Archie Penko, who I loved as a racehorse, um, but does have absolutely bonkers progeny, Time Warp? considerably richer than Jao. I love that pronunciation of Marrera. It's Joe. Everybody calls him Joe. Can I give you my, um, I, I know Jack Joe's podcast anecdotes. You love the anecdotes, don't you? I'll give you mm. a quick Archie Penko, uh, Mick Kinnan anecdote. I, yes. I called Mick last weekend for a, a piece I was writing on um, John Moore. You can find it on the HKJC Twitter feed. And a good chat with, uh, Mick, and he told me about a weekend at the end of May, early June 2007. This is how his weekend went. He rode Archie Penko, I think was second favourite in the derby. I think he finished 17th of 18, Bond. beating a mile. But there was a, a nice bonus, because the horse who won the race with Frankie Dettori on board, authorised, had been bred uh, by MJ Kinan. So that was a nice result for Mick. He jumped in a car from Epsom, straight to Heathrow, jumped on the plane to Hong Kong, got off the plane, went straight to Sha Tin, won a Group 1 on Viva Pataka, ex-Mark Prescott, uh, won multiple Group 1s here, jumped straight back on the plane and rode a winner at Nace on the Monday, I think. So uh, that was a weekend in Mick Canan's life. And Archie Penko, funny enough, has ended up as the sire of Time Warp, glorious forever, a Group 1 horse here. He's had a big impact in... Uh, Hong Kong. The Time Warp was a very capable horse for Sir Mark Prescott. He's been an incredibly colourful horse here. I don't think there's a Group 1 horse in the world who is as unpredictable as Time Warp. He's won seven races here. He's won four million quid. 
he's won several group ones. But if you look at his form figures, when he wins one, he's gone one, ten, one, ten, one, nine on his last few wins. And he's here on the back of a one when he beat Exultant, more of him in a moment, in a very slowly run race. He's a charming horse, Time Warp. He's a fun horse to watch. But when all the results are in, Emmett, he's still Time Warp and he's a nutter. And he does what's in his head at any given moment. If he gets a soft lead, he is a dream. And he just keeps knocking out those solid fractionals and he's hard to get by. But if he's pressured, and especially if the whip comes out, I've never, it's a long time since I've seen a horse react so, how should we say, assertively to the whip. If he's touched, the tail goes round straight away. If he's given a crack, he, you can see him decelerate and say, are you kidding me? Are you serious? I'm time wolf. We don't do things that way around here. But Joe was on him for the first time in a couple of years, last time out, in a group uh, one, the Hong Kong Gold Cup in February, and he got a beautiful run through the race. Times are very important in Hong Kong, and we have accurate times. Time Warp absolutely dawdled. He ambled through a first 1,200 of 74.7. Now, that is it's walking pace for Group 1 horses, and it puts Exultant and plenty others in a very bad tactical position. When they tried to make ground into a quickening pace, Time Warp was still strong. Time Warp had Joe on board. Joe flicked the whip a couple of times. The tail went round, but he did keep going, and he held on by three parts of a length. The key question, will the same Time Warp turn up this time, and will this relatively small field find a way of putting pressure on him so that he has to go harder at an earlier stage? But no, I adore watching Time Warp, but um, when pressure's applied to him, he tends to pack it in, and surely... The other jockeys will be aware of the need to impose some pressure. It's a, it's a rum scenario, Emmett, because it's a seven-runner field, which is small by Hong Kong standards, and they mainly get-back horses. Furore, uh, last year's derby winner, tends to be held up. Eagle Way, likewise. Elusive State, likewise. Glorious Dragon, likewise. He used to be an Ed Walker horse. Stevenson's Rocket. And Playa del Puente went from last to first in no time flat in the derby last time and nearly stole the race until Golden 60 wore him down. So it's on Zach, I'm afraid, this time. Zach Burton's a tremendously quotable character. And when it goes wrong, like it did last time, he has a pretty stock phrase in, in an Aussie uh, nasal accent. He'll say, they all left him alone. Well, it's on you, Zach. Sometimes you have to be the one to lay it down to the leader. And the record reflects that Exultant is pretty good at that. He is extremely good at sustaining a long run for home. We should go to his backstory. People will remember this horse as Irish correspondent. Yeah. He came a long way in a short time for Michael Halford three years ago. Um, he made his debut in the spring. A few weeks later, he was in the Irish 2000 guineas. He ran a very good race behind two crackerjack horses, Churchill and Thunder Snow. Then he ran very well despite being messed around slightly behind Ben Battle in a good race at Royal Ascot. And since he's come to Hong Kong, he has cleaned up uh, the middle distance division, apart from this uh, race. He's got a Hong Kong Vars Group 1. He's got a Hong Kong Gold Cup Group 1. And he's got a Champions and Chater Cup over a mile and a half Group 1. The one Group 1 missing over middle distances, the one missing jewel in his crown is this race. He was second in it last year. Last year, this was a hell of a race. 
Winbright won it for Japan. Uh, eight horses, they smashed the track record. Eight horses dipped under the two-minute barrier in this race. Unheard of in Hong Kong before. And he came home really strongly. And behind him were Lisgrecia, fantastic filly, Deirdre, Crackerjack filly, Glorious Forever, Group 1 winner, Pakistan star. The depth of last year's race was very, very strong. This year's race does not look like it has anything the same depth. But it does have this stable name, Tony Cruz's time warp, and it does have a tactical angle that poses Zach Pern a really interesting question. But he has to dust off the playbook that he used several times last season, and if he does, Exultant should win. For those who are wondering where Deirdre is, by the way, currently in the UK, being prepped for the main aim of the arc. So uh, another attempt at the arc and what a horse she was last season. Uh, it'll be fascinating to see her in action this season. Hopefully everything goes to plan and we actually get to see her in action. Um, Exultant is going to be your final selection. So, Graham. Yes, he is. Uh, and I could be wrong about time. Maybe Joe has just uh, relit the fire, but he's, you know, he's a tricky customer. So wouldn't surprise me to see uh, one of the um, younger and exposed horses come to the fore. They've got plenty to do on the book, uh, but the bottom two, Claire Del Puente, uh, another ex-Michael Halford horse. He won three nice races at Dundalk. Clear career best in the derby last time. I'd love to see him go well for, for Blake Shin, who's had a massive run of second-itis in Hong Kong this season. Chad Schofield is in fiery form. I think he's had at least one winner at all the last 10 or 11 Hong Kong meetings. He rides Glorious Dragon, who can't beat Exultant on one piece of form, but he is unexposed. He does finish strongly, and he could come calling uh, late to pick up some pieces. His trainer, South African Tony Millard, won this race with a, a tremendous horse called Ambitious Dragon, I think, in 2011. Um, I'm waiting to write the headline. If he wins it again in 2020, the Glorious Dragon, the headline is very straightforward. How to train your dragon. Oh, I'll take that all day. I've never seen the film, but I've seen the promos and the trailers and all that. As Captain America would say, I got that reference. Darren, Exultant is trying to make up for a very expensive mistake last time out where he was a long, very, very, very short price favourite last time out back in February at Chatin. Um, but by the sounds of things, Graham is quite confident that things will be reversed. Do you share that viewpoint or do you think that Time Warp won't fold like a cheap deck chair once the pressure is applied and uh, could actually be a big player here. Like, he wouldn't be the first weirdo to be a big player in a race like this. Think, <laughs> did Pakistan star win this one year? Oh God, I think he did. He'd be, he'd, be, he'd be in the same sort of mental capacity as him, I'd say, by the, by the sounds of things. Um, I'm glad to hear Graham say that they, he could kind of confirm my, my suspicion that they went very slow last time. I watched that uh, the Hong Kong Gold Cup last night without commentary and like just even just visually speaking, it looked like they, they really crawled around. You know, it looked like more like an Astok Gold Cup than a Hong Kong Gold Cup, the speed that they were going. Yeah, look, I suppose I thought Exultant gave him a bit of a shocker, really. He was caught very far back. He turned very wide, turned it for home as well. And, you know, I think Graham is on the money. I think uh, Mr. Perkin has to take a little bit of personal responsibility and, 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 you know, maybe have him a bit further forward because, you know, going through his form, he doesn't appear to be one of those that needs to be, to be dramatically held up. And, look, the prices will likely reflect... Um, Last time was a blip in uh, in Exultant's copybook, and he's expected to win here. So yeah, look, look at it. I didn't think there was anything really as close, and I think we can all agree on, on paper he's far and away the best horse in the race, and I would expect him to take it as relatively comfortably. 
In terms of an exotic bet, Darren, is that something that you would be tempted to do? And if so, is there a way that you can see into it? Yeah, look, I suppose I, I wouldn't be a fan of time warp by any means either. I don't generally, don't really like horses. I kind of have those those quirks. That you're really not guaranteed to get a, a run for your money. Now, I say that I know after picking up a pair earlier on in the program, but um, Playa del Pointe was probably the one I, I thought might cause a half an upset and, and, and get into the frame. Um, should time warp decide he, he's not on a going day, uh, and he might be worth putting into the broadcast with a golden. Graham, for you, in terms of the exotic betting, anything in here that if Time Warp does do a Time Warp that you would like to add in? Yeah, I think it's jumped more. And either way, he hasn't won for a long time now. He really hasn't. Uh, the last time he did win, he actually beat Exultant when they broke the track record. Uh, but it's a couple of years ago now. But he is running all right. Neil Callan's on board. One of the good things, so the positive spin-offs of not having Ryan Moore and Sumion and various other um, globe trotters in town is that some of the locally based riders have got interesting rides in the group ones and uh, Neil Callan's come in for the ride on Eagle Away, very talented horse when he's right, but you know if Time Warp is in the mood he'll be hard to catch, but Exultant has to try and pressure him off the bend early in the straight, if that's the case we might be able to get him out of the first two and it's hey lads, hey, it's up for grabs for second place then, but uh, I agree uh, that Exultant is Clear daylight, the winner here, if the gallop is Thomaston. Two things just before you go, Graham, and it's been absolutely fantastic having you on. This race is live on Sky Sports Racing at 9.40am. So again, you can get a bit of a nap if you're like me and you want to get 20 minutes in be- between the race. Lie down, rest, have a coffee and get ready for the race. Uh, but really, you should just stay in front of your screen and watch the whole thing because it's going to be absolutely brilliant. And it's also going to be an interesting sight as well with how things are being done there. Um but Darren, you were referencing having watching a race last time out and having um, Graham confirm for you that the pace was quite slow. They've got access to times in Hong Kong. Graham and I touched on this the last time he was on the show. We do not have sectional timing available to us without the impeccable work and the tedious process that he has to go through from Simon Rowlands. Uh, and others like him, but Simon leads the way. We were promised sectional timing in Ireland. It's still not here. Two years later, we still don't have it. Uh, how frustrating as a better and as a fan of the sport for you is the fact that the sectional timing that was promised to us and assured we would be given, still no sign off. Look, it's, it's obviously very frustrating. Uh, some of the best points I know, uh, w- w- you know, they, they, they've been died by sectional times and they, you know, they do a lot of hand timing themselves. That gives them a massive edge. I personally don't fully hang my hat on them just the race that I tend to bet in that they're not it, it, I wouldn't live or die by them but it's in you know something as basic as how fast horses have gotten from point A to point B shouldn't even be a point of contention really like, I that, that should be one of the more basic things that we have, have to offer have on offer rather in, in Irish racing and, you know, I'd really like to see it introduced hopefully in the near future uh, as, in, as you say it's been promised a couple of years now I think is what was it, you're even go back a little bit further I remember you like, doing a show on it previously um, and, yeah, look, it's a shame that it isn't available because there's no such thing as too much information. And I think one of the key skills as, as a better uh, or as a gambler is, you know, taking as many streams of information as you can. And then it's up to you to cipher through what you view as valuable and what you view isn't. And, you know, different people will view different things at a different level of value, but there's no such thing as too much information. You've eloquently stated that. The fact that it was January 2018, supposed to be implemented in Ireland, still not done. 
January 2019, of, it'll be done. That still not done. There's no excuse for it. Yeah, but guess what? See the long grass. This is getting kicked into it because of things that are going on now. There's going to be enormous pressure on budgets, time, strategies, etc. So don't expect projects like that to, to come to the top of the pile anytime soon, which is a shame. But before I leave, can I make two or three small points? Yes, please. Uh, first of all, I, I'm not, you know, it's not my job, my intention to hype Hong Kong racing, but if you if you have a vague interest, this is a this card on Sunday I think will will entertain you in, in on many, many levels, the human and the equine and as from that angle of the shape of things to come because this is leading in I think in Europe and lots of other places now, racing is set to become, for quite a while, um, a second-hand sport, in a way, in that you can't go. You're not going to be able to pay to get in for quite a while. And therefore, it's a great opportunity and quite a responsibility for people like you and your guys, the really good podcasters and the broadcasters, that they have to, they have to really, really not promote, I don't like that word, they have to showcase this sport in an even better way than they are doing at the moment. And there's plenty of people doing it pretty well uh, right now. And the last point, this is a very important point. This is a, a message going out to the GOAT, Nick Luck, Nick Luck, dear friend of mine, long-term colleague. Three weeks ago, we had two tremendous races, those trial races I've told you about, Beauty Generation, Ethereal, Hot King Prawn, Waikuku, all on deck for two big group twos at Chartin. And I thought, great. Nothing going on. Nothing going on. Dead as a doornail at home. We'll really get some traction for this. And then Nick Luck walks along. He comes along. Stuart Machin with the cartoon Grand National. And they blew, blew me out of the water. I've got no publicity at all. You know, so I just say to Nick, just leave the field on this weekend. Don't want any cartoon races. Don't want you racing 2.6 million for charity. Just, you know, let the Hong Kong take the centre stage this weekend to the got. 4.8 million viewers. 4.8 million people watch that. It's a cartoon race. A cartoon race. Oh, fair play. It was I fantastic. You, it, no, that, that's a joke, of course, but seriously, it, that was a great effort in, in terms of the, the money that they raised for the NHS via the Cartoon National, but Lucky is on the quiet. He's seething. He's absolutely furious that this Captain Tom came along and absolutely blew him out of the water by just walking around his own garden. <laughs> And the thing is, like that's another thing that's going to change as well. I'm very much somebody who watches programming on demand. I take full advantage of Sky Q, Netflix, Amazon. We now have Disney and we have Apple TV+. I choose what I want to watch instead of the old days of having to stare at the screen and be told what you could watch when you could watch it. I don't know if you're aware of this, Graham, but there tends to be bugger all on TV these days. But there's a whole lot of brilliant content that you can access through Sky Atlantic yeah. and through Netflix, and it's all original. And Ozark, for example, seasons one, two, and three are all available, and oh, I highly... Sensational. It's sensational. Yes, one and a half episodes left of Series 8, and it is fantastic. So please, no spoiler alerts, because when I get off the phone here, that's the rest of my night sorted with uh, Jason Bateman and his wife, whose name I don't know, but she is a powerhouse actress. Fantastic. Laura Linney. Fantastic. She's amazing. She's absolutely amazing. The, the two of them are, and he's directed some of the episodes as well. And Jason Bateman was kind of caricatured as, oh, he's a comedic actor. No, he's not. He's a bloody brilliant dramatic actor. And I'll, I'll, Have you seen The Outsider? 
Yes, I have, and I love it. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that. I didn't think I'd enjoy it, but I, I, I got more and more engrossed by it as it went along. Ben Mendelsohn is one of my favourite actors, and Bateman was in that as well, of course, at, at the start. Spoilers, sorry, spoilers. But he directed <laughs> he, dire- he directed uh, The Outsider as well, but that's available on Sky Atlantic, and you can watch. So like, there's all this content there that is available to watch, and it's, and it's fantastic. But um, the whole reason that we came to this conversation... But, Honestly, watch Ozark, you will love it. And I'll make a controversial statement. Better than Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad was a brilliant series and it paved the way for an awful lot of other TV shows, just like The Sopranos and The Wire did. But God, it was slow. It was so slow. Ozark, beautifully paced, really well done. And um, highly recommend that you watch it. Um, But when you're watching Sky Sports News and there's not a whole lot to talk about, but you've got Gary Neville and Jimmy Redknapp and Jimmy Carragher and they've got their Apple earpods in or their Beats by Dre headphones and they're just looking at their MacBook Pro webcam and that's how they're doing it now. They're they're having conversations with themselves or with other footballers and they're doing it that way from home because of social distancing. This is going to become more yeah. of a thing. Broadcasting from home. Sure. There's there's now a million podcasts in the world. This, really? this is going to become much bigger and stronger because it's all available right there in the palm of your hand on your phone. The, the fact that you can watch a show like Ozark or The Outsider on your phone is pretty remarkable. But yeah, all that tech- I'm guessing... I'm thinking on my feet here, but I'm guessing that people being locked down who have some creativity, they're now going to have the time and the inclination and, and, and the outlet to, to really develop those skills in a different way than if they were going and being um, um, given a, a fairly rigid script in a studio. I think that's a very good point. I also think that the traditional format of TV is going to change as well. Like the fact that Nick was able to do the virtual Grand National from home and do such a good job. Do you need an expensive studio? Do you really need all of that set up? Or can you just do the Joe Rogan thing? Who's, well, who's got the biggest Nick, podcast Nick, in the world? Nick needs his, Nick needs his, his makeup artist and, and his rider of, of, of Moe and Shandor, et cetera. Uh, but there's, there's one last point I'd like to make, a serious point. It's a little plug. And it sort of brings us back to the to where we started, really. Uh, we've done a show, we filmed it this afternoon, um, with Andrew Lejeune and Edward Sadler and, and Doug Chalmers, our uh, Chief producer at the helm, and it's um, it's a special. It's a, a Champions Day special, and, and I believe it's going to go out on. I think it may well go out on Sky Sports, uh, one of the main Sky Sports channels, as well as Sky Sports Racing. And it's, it's just generally to preview Brilliant. what is a you know flag, a flagship occasion. But I've I've done a feature. I I you know I kept my uh, face and voice out of it, which is a relief uh, to many. It's with a guy you may not have heard of, but his name is Arthur. Archibald the Silver, Archie the Silver, an extremely colourful uh, owner in Hong Kong. He owned Hong Kong's greatest horse, and I say that advisedly when Beauty Generation's around, but this was an amazing horse. He won his first 17. He was world champion sprinter three years in a row, a devastating knockout artist in his, in his run style. And the weird thing was, he started to get really good just as Hong Kong was coming out of the SARS crisis. SARS in 03 hit Hong Kong way harder than coronavirus has. 300 people died in a fairly short space of time. The city was, you know, on its knees uh, uh, in many ways. People were on lockdown. People couldn't go to work. People were fearful. Hong Kong citizens were being 
um, criticized for traveling, etc. This horse came along and he really captured the imagination of the city. And, and it shows how um, we need sports in tough times. We need heroes in tough times. That horse was, they call him the spirit of Hong Kong. He was emblematic of, of Hong Kong starting to roar again after a really bad time. And I think this piece we've done with Archie the Silver, I'll put it on my Twitter feed, actually coming on too. It'll be on the, the Sky Sports show on the Hong Kong Jockey Club special. I'm really, really pleased with it. it. He's one of those guys who, the phrase is PV ready. He rocks up, bounds in, he's ready to go. And the first thing he says is, I think I've got a great closing line for you. And you think, right, we're in business here. You know? And um, he delivers the story beautifully because he's a Hong Kong born and bred. He saw exactly how Hong Kong was struggling 17 years ago with SARS. He sees how this has been handled way better, partly because of that experience. And he knows he knows exactly how a world-class horse can lift not just the racing fans, sports fans, and the people of an entire city. So maybe Beauty Generation can sign off in similar style at the weekend, but look out for that. I really, really enjoyed doing it, and I think it's come out nice. Is it by any chance called Hong Kong Direct? That's the show, but this is the special version because we've got, you know, three group ones, etc. Yeah. Excellent. So okay. you can find it. You'll find it on YouTube. You'll find it various Twitter feeds, etc. But um, I never mind uh, that. Just go to the SkyGo app and set your recorder uh, 3.30 Saturday, 3.30 Friday. You can watch it on Sky Sports Racing and it's on, you are right, it's on one of the Sky Sports main channels as well. I can't quite remember which one though, but it's there on my yeah. iPad coming up. But yeah, watch so it on YouTube as well. Fantastic. There's Pern Marrera feature, Beauty Generation feature, Archie the Silver, great character. So no, wait, listen, we've got the field to ourselves for the moment. And I hope that doesn't last too long because we need all the major racing nations back in action. But again, to, to, to finish where we started, bizarrely, we have no betting shops open. We have no fans on the race course. Uh, we have no international horses or international jockeys coming in. And yet we have a, a profile that's probably in advance of anything we've ever seen for this day in the past. So it, it, it's strange how the way, way, the way the world works. All eyes on Shatin, all eyes on Hong Kong this Sunday, all live on Sky Sports Racing. One question before you go, Graham, and you've been incredibly kind with your time, as has Darren, who's staying with us to preview Australian and American racing, which I'm looking forward to talking to him about as well. When you go through these fields, and you kind of alluded to this, the vast majority of horses who are running in Hong Kong are geldings. I know that China Club and that Hong Kong came over and met with Coolmore and they signed an agreement and came up with a partnership as to how to learn to improve the breeding industry out there and that that is something that has been worked on but the lack of entires the lack of of full horse what is the breeding situation like in hong kong is it all a case of they are buying up the best that they can from ireland and the uk and australia or is there a plan in motion to start developing and breeding their own horses it's it's a medium to long-term project because before you can have the breeding project you need the land, which is in incredibly high demand in Hong Kong. But if you didn't know this, the Jockey Club now have um, a, a, a race course and training facility, which is incredible. If you ever get a chance to go, you'd be blown away. It's at a place called Chung Fa, 200 kilometers north of Hong Kong in mainland China. And it's in an eco zone. It's, it's right up in the hills. You go from the pretty barren industrial landscape of Shenzhen which is a major, major industrial city. And you gradually start to wind up 
into the hills and you, you enter this gorgeous country arena and then it's like this huge race course and training center has been dropped out of the sky into what is effectively not a mountain range but a very hilly eco-friendly area and there's all the land needed there to to perhaps launch a breeding program in time uh, but at the moment 90 percent of the horses are geldings they're bought to come here and race and win lots of prize money and the six million quid uh, on offer for the three group ones this weekend. So no, it's it's certainly years away, but it is on the drawing board. And when the jockey club here put things on the drawing board, uh, eventually they tend to come to pass. I'm looking forward to it. And I'm looking forward to chatting to you again as well, Graham. Um, I think that's something I'd like to return to you uh, and chat to you more about the development of that in, in Hong Kong. But you're a, a gentleman and a scholar. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and looking forward to having you on the Final Forum podcast again, my friend. Enjoy the weekend. I hope it goes well for you. And most of all, stay safe. Thanks, Emmett. Thanks, everyone. You stay safe. We're in, we're in a very safe place here compared to you guys. So good luck. And now I'm off to watch concluding stages of Ozark. Which you will love. What is your best bet for the weekend? Well, these, these three Group 1 races, there are no great secrets. I think they revolve around um, a small number of horses. Exultant is going to be money on, so there's not too much point in tipping him. Beauty Generation Wakuku, I really don't know. I, I think it could be uh, heads up, heads down with Kai Ying Star very close up behind them. So I'll, I'll take my chances with Hawking Prawn. Uh, he's He's good enough to win a race like this. He's uncomplicated. He delivers more often than not. And his main rival, Ethero, is brilliant, but potentially fragile if, um, if it gets rough out there. I'm liking that. Let's go with that. Graham, you're an absolute superstar. It is a pleasure to have you on the show again and looking forward to talking to you again soon. Graham Cunningham, everybody. Oh, the crowd are going wild. Social distancing, please. Social distancing. Everybody be at a distance. They're going nuts for you, Graham. Uh, best of luck. Stay safe, my friend. Thanks, mate. Good Take night. care. Graham Cunningham, the great and powerful Graham Cunningham. God, I've been listening to a lot of Joe Rogan lately. Uh, Darren, what is your best bet so for Hong Kong? And I know that the Betfair Exchange don't have prices, but the sports book do. And uh, in these strange times, even though we're sponsored by the Betfair Exchange, we'll allow, we'll allow it. We'll allow the sports book uh, to have their, their moment in the sun. So, who would be your best bet and what are the current prices that really attract you from the three races? Sure, so I'll just go through the races uh, one by one again, Emma. So the chairman sprint prize, um, we get a very hard split, Otero and Hot King Prawn. So Otero is 6-4, to four. Hot King Prawn is 13-8, to eight. Tanks Forever is 6-1, to one. Voyage Warrior is 7th and it's 16th bar. And the one I came down in there was uh, was Otero um, ahead of Hot King Prawn. Then in the Champions Mile, Beauty Generation 4-5, to five, Waikuku 9-4, Yak tagging star sixes and it's nines and bigger the rest. Um, and the one there I can down on, I think it's probably my strongest bet the weekend is Waikuku. Um, just at those prices, I really think they should be closer together. They could, they could well be closer together. Um, and nine to four looks big enough to me. And then in the QE2 Cup, um, as Graham alludes to there, yeah, look, exultant money on. He's two to five, five. Um, time warp four to one. Furore, nine to two, and it's 20s, uh, 20s and bigger the other four. Um, and yeah, look, I do think it's going to be very, very difficult to beat there. So from a value proposition, I would say Waikuku is definitely worth the bet at 9-4. Waikuku is the bet, so do you say 9-4? to 9-4 with the bet for sportsbook, yeah. Let's take that. Let's take that 9-4, shall we? We're going to talk about Australian racing. <sighs> How do I put this? Yeah, we've taken the piss out of Australian racing over the years that uh, oh, it's not as good as our racing and... 
unless they travel. It, it, it isn't. It isn't. Is that right? Well said. That being said, though, it is live on Sky Sports Racing and it continues. So we can watch it. Uh, right now, Tim Carroll is throwing his Beats by Dre headphones against the wall in absolute anger and wants to come on the show, but not yet, Tim. Wait. Well, in fairness, look, re- renowned, renowned uh, UK and Irish group, One Horse of Dave, who has uh, struck fear into the hearts of uh, each and every horse in the UK and British Isles down through the years. Um, you know, he, he went and took his, his group one in Australia, having, uh, I can't remember any, I can't even remember him being beaten in a group one in the UK or Ireland. Uh, such, such a good horse that he is. Um, Enable is quaking. Quaking. Yeah. Uh, John Gosden reported that her legs started to shake when she saw what uh, Dave did and, and is terrified of him coming back. It, does, it doesn't say a whole lot about the strength and depth of the racing over there that that can happen. So, good Al, good Al Winksy. I've actually found my Al Winksy hat the other day that Mr. Blake made up. And um, it's, it's still there and I'm more than happy to wear it when... when t- when Tim Carroll comes on the show. Uh, that being said, though, there is Australian racing and we want to talk about racing, so let's go for it. And you are the international expert. So, Morphtoville? Morphtoville? Yeah, let's go with that. Right, so the M&J Chickens Breeder Stakes Group 3. And we have talked on the show in the past how the Australian pattern is very, very different to the European pattern in that in Europe all jurisdictions have to agree to either promote or relegate a race. In Australia, they can literally just go, Darren, do you fancy making that race a group one there? Yeah, grand. Okay, fine. Yeah, sign off on that grand. That's kind of how it works there. So it's a group three. Okay, um, did you ever see that sort of Father Ted, you know, the one where they're giving out the, uh, the, the, the ratings of the clerical items and it's just the three, uh, the three cardinals sitting and, you know, do we make this? Stonaton record there, grade two, and the uh, you know just, uh, I think it's something along those lines. A few lads just smoking tags in a in a back up and the Australian jockey club. What do you reckon? Will we just go? Yeah, make that a group one. Yeah, it's been, how long has it been going? Oh, yeah. Five years? Yeah, grand, grand, yeah, yeah. Sarah, yeah, like, yeah. Sarah Lanham's not going to get that reference. Never watched Father Ted. Unbelievable. Really? I know. We're trying to fix it. We, we are trying to fix that. We're sending her the links on all four and trying to fix that. But yeah, anyway, I, I've been binging on it on, on Channel 4 myself since the last day and it's, uh, it's cracking stuff. It's so good. It's, it holds up and it's better than... It does, yeah. It really does. It's better than bloody Mrs. Brown's boys. Don't at me. Seriously, Mrs. Brown's boys. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, right, so this six furlong M&J Chickens Breeders Stakes Group 3. Uh, I can see betting on the Bedford Sportsbook. We have betting on the exchange as well. Uh, Charm School is heading the betting, having made a winning debut for Anthony Freeman and Paul Gatt. Uh, what's your take on this race? Yeah, so look, I'll give you a rundown of the betting here quickly. He, he, she does indeed head our market as a 15 to 8 ecumenical, then from Nick Huxtable is 5 to 1. That would be an ecumenical matter. <laughs> very, yeah, very topical, very topical. Ranting then is 11 to 2. Crown made to 6 is uh, Ural. I'm going to go with a 7. Bribery 7th and 14th and figure the rest. Yeah, look, Charmscombe made a very taken debut. He was all their age um, in a Sandown maiden and uh, he just was very very green kind of just it got on top of it but when he did get when she did get on top she, she really got going and I think she, she won with a length in the end but I'm going to take her on here again this is a bit of a step up in class and you know at the likely prices like the one I I, I just think she, she's on the skinny side there 15 to 8 uh, there's a horse in there called Ecumenical and um, he's by Zebedee and you know, listeners might remember him for firing that uh, decent herd where William Williams was bunk off early uh, as well as obviously Ivor Wood and Major John Buckingham and I'm not jump right to the stand and um, 
ecumenically Yucky Shonis would be very hardy very professional he's won on soft ground and I think there's, there's rain and promise in Northville on Saturday morning I remember Aidan O'Brien said a couple of years ago pe- people underestimate how difficult that jump from, from maiden class to, to group one is you know you see a horse win a maiden impressively and they go into group class and they're all the rage in the betting oftentimes and they're, they're massively underpriced in the sense that it's just it's such a step it's just such a step up in class like you know, and people kind of scoff at those horses who, you know, they might have run five or six times and come second, third, second, third, second, third, even though they've established a much higher level of form than those horses who have just, you know, won, won a maiden impressively and, and who knows what they beat. And Ecumenica kind of fits into that. Look, he's, he's won twice, he's come fifth twice, but he just, he's very professional already. And as I said, he, he has won on soft ground and there is rain promise. And I just think he has his act together at this stage early on in his career. And he might just be a little bit too streetwise for Charms, who may, who may well end up being the best of these. But I'm going to side with Ecumenical at 5-1. to one. He's a good each-way prize. I would recommend taking that. You've made a very solid case and a very good argument as well, by the way, about... And, and it is something that we often get fooled by. It's something that really comes up in the Coventry an awful lot, that you want to go for a, the, the flashy wide margin winner but yeah, they lack it's, experience it's the, sex, it's the sexy the sexy maiden winner who won around Sandown by five lengths or whatever and it's like you're, no, you're nearly better off getting beaten and then you know winning your maiden your second start and then you know going to your going to your Coventry and your third start or whatever else you know it, it, it's, just, it's a big step up to take when these horses are still learning and sometimes the benefit of that second run before they step up into group company is, is, is a massive of even bigger benefit than people realise. Yeah, it's kind of been an Aidan O'Brien policy as well, is that they're not, it's fine if they win, they'll take it, but if the horse gets beaten up, they're not going to bang the horse around to go and win a maiden. That They, won't, not, they don't no. mind the horse gaining the experience because you are literally being thrown into the deep end then once you've won that maiden. So often, that's why it was really strange, was it? Uh, not last year, the year before, 2018, where it seemed like every first time out juvenile Aiden was sending out was winning. And it just exactly. it just meant that his, his stable was further forward than they thought. But those horses were also capable of then making that step up in grade. He had a very, very high class team that year. Um, but it, it can often be the case, you talk to most trainers and they'll tell you that you're almost better off. You know, it's great to win a maiden, but you're almost better off getting beaten first time out learn from that exactly. and then on you go the next time so we're getting 6.0 is that what you said yeah 6.0 is right correct yeah and, and I just tell you now he is yeah look he's drawn in barrier 9 so he doesn't have to come across but charm school is decided on barrier 8 so as you know they're, they're kind of and even then at ranting down at 11 to 2 is drawn in 11 so kind of odd the main protagonists seem to be drawn quite wide, so um, you know the ones on the inside, you know, they, they probably aren't as good. So I, I wouldn't be too concerned about the wide draw. Okay, uh, Rosehill, we're switching to the six and a half furlong, Kalahi Equine Hawksbury Crown Group Three for fillies and mares, three rolls and up. Um, Hugh Bowman is in action here. He'll be the the main man. Although James McDonald obviously made a, quite a name for himself when he came over to the UK and particularly winning at Royal Ascot. Uh, Godolphin are very well represented in the previous race and in this one as well. Uh, the betting and what has taken your fancy so far, my friend? Sure thing, Emma Jess. So in her time here for Hugh Bowman and Chris Lee, the heads are marked at 5-2. Bangkok then, uh, not the not the uh, King Power horse, the uh, different Bangkok uh, for Robbie Dolan and Alan Denham is 9-2, Erythea is 15-2, Multaha is 8, Nantali is 10s, Dyslexic is 12s, Asherani is 14s and 16s and bigger the rest. I really think in her time is going to be very difficult to beat here, Emmett. Um, 
you know, you kind of start her career. She's running, she's running much higher quality races than this. You know, she, she's uh, she's won her Group One. She's 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 running the Everest, etc. And um, she's obviously run around Rosehill Gardens before. Uh, she's the main man in Ian Bowman jacked up. Um, she she has been a peak form this year, and that is a slight concern. But this is this is below kind of her 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 typical standard that she runs in, and I'd be disappointed if she couldn't win this. So again, she has to overcome barrier ten, but you'd be hopeful she can do that. Hugh Bowman still going strong as well. So in her time, number one, uh, seven years of age, and that's who we'll be siding with in the 5.35 at Rose Hill on the 25th of April on Saturday. So we'll switch focus to America after our Australian endeavours and all racing live on Sky Sports Racing. Now, the first one we're going to talk about is we're recording on the 23rd of April. So the first race that you've got for us, Darren, is actually tonight at Gulfstream. So no pressure as people look back on the result to see, does this Darren guy know his stuff? Let's find out. <laughs> um, so Gulfstream tonight, what have you got for us? Cool, yeah, so it's a 1017 in Gulfstream tonight. There's a horse that will probably be familiar to a lot of your listeners uh, in the shape of Arthur Kitt. He used to used to be trained by Tom Daskam and he's now moved to the Christoph Clement Barn. Um, I think he goes here with a good chance. He's about 5-1 to one at the moment. Sure to draw the interest of many, uh, any, many UK and Ireland fans. It's hard to get a handle on just how strong this race would be in comparison to what he would have contested back home. But this lad's a Royal Ascot winner. Do you know what I mean? He's a, he clearly has as latent talent, and uh, you know you'd expect him to go close tonight. Now, the favourite Temple, I'm, I'm told by a guy who would know that he's that he's going to be very hard beaten. But uh, at an each way price, I will side with Arthur Kiss for Christoph Clement. He had quite a story because I remember being at Royal That's Ascot. Right, yeah. And, uh, and feeling Kitty, his mother died giving birth to him, wasn't it? That's and right. He had to be placed in the foster mare, yeah. Yeah, I remember hearing about that. And, and he nearly lost his life himself. That's right. His badly twisted leg, I think, is what the story was, uh, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, and even like, you know, you, you don't know, horses that go to foster mares don't always, like, there have been some that have come back and, and end up being brilliant race horses, but they usually don't. So, yeah, look, for him to even turn out as a racehorse at all it, it is very impressive and much less as good as he was or as good as he is, even. Yeah, remarkable story, really. Uh, he did end up finishing second at Sandown to Too Darn Hot, which obviously turned That's out right, to be yeah. quite good form, but last year was a bit of a disaster. Interestingly, though, he is still owned by, uh, essentially, Michael Owen. That's right, yeah. That's right, yeah. Chase Moore Farm still, still there. I think it's Chase Moore Farm, is it? Yeah, you're that's right. Still yeah. Own him. yeah, that's still on him. Um, yeah, so as in, look, I suppose it's, it's, it's a new venture for them to, to have a horse out there, so... Be interesting to see how he gets on, um, and you know, it'll give you a good handle on what the standard of the US racing is like compared to here at home. Because, it, because in, you know, it often gets looked down on, but it, the racing is it, it is every bit as good. It's just we're not as familiar with it, and you know, it, it's really worth exploring if you get a chance. And make sure you're checking out Peter Fornatal as well. Peter's doing some fantastic work for Sky Sports Racing, particularly on Thursdays. And Peter will be back with us on Monday alongside the Don. Barry Faulkner, as we look back at Hong Kong. And uh, we haven't quite decided who else is on, so it may very well be you, Darren. You may very well be, be on that show as well. Not, not <laughs> entirely so. Just as we like make up, break down the fourth wall and plan the strategy of the podcast now, it could very well be yourself who's on here. But uh, I'm interested to see how he gets on, Arthur Kitt, and his new career stateside, and hope it goes well for him. So that's 10.17 tonight on Sky Sports Racing. And again, we're recording on Thursday, 23rd of April. Um, weekend racing then. We're staying with Gulfstream. Yes, there's a couple. There's a few stakes this weekend. The first one I come to is the Unbridled Stakes um, in Goldstream. It's a good little race actually, and the one I like to look at is South Bend for Stanley Hall and Julian Lepero. 
Hell, he's looked again. I'll come back to this thing. He's the most experienced horse in the field, so you know a lot of people might turn their noses down at him. But he has shown very decent form in graded events. Like he was only two lengths behind the current um, Kentucky Derby favourite at Churchill Downs last November in the Grade Two Jockey Club Stakes. It's a very strong form in the book, and you know he does need a strong pace to aim at. There's a couple of free going types in here who've only had one and two starts in their career, who you know who might set a strong pace. And again, at a likely each way price, I, 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 he's going to be the one I'm going to side with. Um, I hope he could at least hit the frames, and I just think that level of professionalism that he has shown up to now will stand him in good stead against some of his more inexperienced rivals. Okay, that's the unbridled stakes at uh, Gulfstream. We then switch to Oaklawn. That's right, yeah. So the the bachelor stakes here. There's a, an interesting horse in the shape here, shape here of Eight Rings, who Coolmore have actually decided to purchase the breeding rights uh, after his uh, after his Grade One win last November. Now, or last last autumn. He, uh, he went to the Breeders' Cup Juvenile and he, he kind of flopped, to be honest. I think he ran way below himself, but he was beaten about 11 lengths, which, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, he was nearly beaten. I'd, I'd sooner be beaten 11 lengths than beaten two lengths, because if he's beaten two lengths, that's as good as he is. If he's beaten 11 lengths, there's probably something wrong. Do you know what I mean? Um, so I'm going to take him to bounce back here. It's hard to know exactly what kind of price he's going to be, but no better man than Bob Backer to uh, to get it, to turn the horse inside out ahead of a big day. So hopefully he can get his career back on track at Oakland on, on Saturday. Okay, and that's eight rings. You'll remember on our Breeders' Cup preview and review, we were talking about uh, quite a bit as well because we liked Max Field an awful lot. And uh, that horse, unfortunately, ended up not running, but is is a horse that we'll be talking about a little bit later on in the show. Uh, You've got one more race for us? One more, yeah. So staying in Auckland, the Carousel Stakes is on as a competitive sprint here, but it's very hard to see beyond Bellafina. Uh, she has a very strong standard here for Simon Callan. She was second in the Breeders' Cup, um, the Breeders' Cup last November, and that would be more than good enough to take this. Uh, Mia Mischief for Steve Asmussen is a worthy rival, but she tends to blow a little bit hot and cold. She's much like Time Warp. We were discussing earlier on in the program, not quite as extreme as that, but it's just her overall record is, is somewhat patchy. And even at her very, very best, she would have a little bit to find with uh, with Bellafina. So look, again, she's not likely to be the biggest prize in the world, but uh, she's by far the most likely winner, and I'll take her to take this race on Saturday evening at Oak Club. Of all of those horses you've mentioned, who are you most confident about? Who am I most confident about? It's probably Bellafina. From a likely price point of view on the Betfair Exchange, I'd say you'll get a decent price about, um, about South Bend. I think uh, he could be definitely an each way price come today. So you can back him in the win and place market on the Better Exchange and you should get some value there that, uh, on that platform. Liking the sound of that a lot. Uh, we've mentioned the Kentucky Derby in, in passing with eight rings. Um, we really should touch on it because I know that you've got some thoughts on the race itself. Rescheduled to September 5th. Controversially, they announced this without consulting the New York authorities. So the entire Triple Crown structure is up for debate now this season and how that's all going to play out. Um, But we are going to have a Kentucky Derby, apparently. It will be the 5th of September, and in Barry Faulkner and Peter Fornatel's view, that's going to very much enhance things for the Breeders' Cup at Santa Anita because we should get a Kentucky Derby winner in the Classic, which doesn't always happen, justify, as an example. Um, But what is your early thoughts on the Kentucky Derby and um, who really stands out to you in the very, very early stages as we look at the prestigious American Classic? Yeah, look, it, it's very early doors and obviously with the way things are at the moment, um, you know, the whole thing has been kind of rejigged to a point that it, it's quite difficult to get as good a handle on it as you normally would. 
Tis the law is kind of like the, the current industry favourite. But for me, I think Bob Baffert holds the keys to the race. He has uh, his three horses in the shape of uh, Nadal, Authentic, and Charlatan, uh, who hopefully isn't uh, who hopefully isn't as big a charlatan as his name might suggest. Um, Nadal has had to work hard in a couple of Group 2s, but one in absolutely horrendous conditions in Oakland latest. Um, but, you know... Those are kind of those are decent class contests, and if he continues to improve like on the trajectory that he is, he's definitely a big player. Uh, I think he runs in a couple of weeks. Charlton caught the eye in a Santa Anita claimer, and he won by pretty much named the distance. He won a minute, uh, very very impressive, and just you know he, he he did his own donkey work out in front and scooted away um, from from the eighth pole uh, to the line, and he hit the line really really strong. Now look, again we come back; it's a lower class of contest, and Al has won. But the way he did it, um, you know, and obviously the, the guy, his, his his handler will give you give you massive um, massive hope for for his future. And then looking closer to home, um, I was there was rumours last year that Monarch of Egypt was uh, was the, the Aidan O'Brien horse out of Amer- by American Pharaoh. Uh, he was supposedly Bally Doyle's Kentucky Derby horse this year. Now, look, obviously plans have been um, have been kind of laid to waste with the way things have gone. So I'm not 100 percent sure whether that could still go ahead, but. If they could get things back on track this side of the water, and he could get his he could get a season on track, he could be an interesting one. I suppose as they try to establish the American Pharaoh bloodlines early on, and you know, and, and build another stallion if if they could. So he's definitely an interesting contender if things get back on track over here. Wasn't his original name Maven? Yeah, it was. It was something that it was Maven. I think it was Maven. Yeah, and it was. It was a very late change. Um, I actually went to Nace that day that he that he won on debut to see him, and as in, he won over five furlongs at Nace. Like, that horse has no right to be running over five furlongs, much That's less winning. And from what I remember, that race actually worked out quite well. Michael Callan had a horse in it that turned out to be quite good. And there was another one back in third or fourth that I think ended up winning a couple of races as well. Now, look, his season sort of went off the boil. He got injured before Royal Ascot and then kind of just never got back on track. He was second behind Sisk in a couple of times on ground that probably wouldn't have suited. So, look, if you take that he, he's he'll improve for three, like you've remembered, I think American Pharaoh, we didn't see him until three, am I right in saying? Yeah, you're right. He didn't race as juvenile. Yeah. So there you go, like, as in he's not exactly bred to be precocious, you know. Um, so as in if he improves as, you know, for, for a winter of grass, if he improves or switch to dirt, if they go down that track with, with them, you know, he, he's one that could be, you know, kind of forgotten about to an extent. And um, he might be keeping an eye on as the year goes on. He was favoured for the Coventry and obviously missed it for reasons that you've alluded to. But do you remember the day, the second day he took on Shishkin at the Curra? Um, That's right. In the, the, the market absolutely flipped his way. Am I right? Unbelievable that, that buckets of money, or or as John Dance would like me to now say it, shit tons of money came flooding in for uh, Monarch of Egypt, and Shishkin had dismissed him quite comfortably, but he got closer to him. He got a lot closer to him. To be fair, so you would imagine whatever he did last year is simply a bonus. And I think they wanted to go Breeders' Cup and couldn't because he didn't have enough points. You have to have a certain rating to be able to go there. Yeah, he, 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 hadn't, he hadn't built up the profile. Yeah, they do, they collect points of some description, yeah. So um, what, what were you going to say about the date on at the current system? I think he, he really drifted badly in the market that day from what I remember. He was he was actually initially priced up his favourite and he ended up going off about... It was, it was, it was a big 7-2? Yeah, uh, 7-2, yeah, yeah. And he, he drifted markedly now. He, he really did. And then the second time they clashed, boom, all the money came flooding in for him. It was weird. Very, That's very right, weird. Yeah. So it was on soft ground, as in like which really wouldn't wouldn't suit him at all. No, it wouldn't suit Siskin either, don't get me wrong, but I'd be willing to like as in I think he's been forgotten about to an extent based off 
you know, being beaten there twice when circumstances really didn't dictate that they should do them. So definitely not one to give up on no matter what route he takes this year. Would the simple solution for the Coolmore team be to just go to Chelmsford? Because that's now been confirmed as they're in talks to bring that back, you know, the, the Chelmsford win in your in race. Is winning your in, actually, sorry, winning your in, I think, is actually a trademarked name for the Breeders' Cup. It is, you know. Really? I have that, that uh, there's a Nick Look conversation that is in my head that's telling me winning your in is trademarked by the Breeders' Cup and can only be used by them. So there's, uh, there's a qualifier that is staged at, okay. at Chelmsford. Yeah. Yeah, it's the Breeders' Cup. They don't mess around. But hey, they liked the podcast on Twitter the other day, so we must be doing something Brilliant. right. Uh, and, we're, and if you'd like to extend an invitation to Darren and myself and to Jess and the team <laughs> to attend the Breeders' <laughs> Cup at Santa Anita, we'd be more than happy to go as it's live on Sky Sports Racing. Um, but maybe the, the easiest thing to do, because they, they did win that trial, was it last year? I think it was last year. Uh, for Ed yeah, Brian. I can't send him over. Fort Myers. I can't remember who ran, but yeah, I do. I remember. Yeah, Donica rode one, and Ryan rode the other. They they, they dominated the race. Twenty five runners in it, or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Could, um, it, it's great it. to have that kind of direct route into the the American Classic on this side of the water. You know. Yeah. Um, racing is an international sport, so to have something like that in the UK and Ireland, it, it, it's really positive. I think. I th- bye bye Hong Kong. I'm being told is who won the race for for Coolmore. Bye bye Hong Kong. Yeah, sounds right. Yeah, he went on to be a real star, didn't he, Darren? <laughs> he did. Yeah, <laughs> the fact that I couldn't remember his name showed. Oh, uh, Deary me. Um, but interesting that that's going to go ahead and. Um, the, the very keen that Chumsford's plans to rearrange the Kentucky Derby qualifier is the, is the latest on that. Uh, the other thing just to touch on before we go is the French authorities have come out and stated that the 11th of May is their targeted date for return. Now, they will have to do what inevitably we will have to do in the Republic of Ireland and indeed in the United Kingdom, which is race behind closed doors. This leads to several issues. There are some race courses in France that are simply not set up to be able to adhere to that. So the schedule as it was will be no more um, and they will move races to racetracks that can actually adhere to social distancing. Is this optimistic, this 11th of May guideline that they've come up with? Or do you think that the setup there is just different enough that they actually could come back? It's very difficult to know, Emmett. Um, I'd be far from an expert on, 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 on how the French have their setup um, over there. Look, I suppose uh, all we can do uh, uh, is, is listen to the experts and kind of go by what they suggest. So look, if the, if the authorities in France are happy to give the go-ahead to race behind closed doors on May 11th and the you know the French Gallop think that they can they can put that to in practice absolutely brilliant but you know paramount and first and foremost has to come the safety of everyone involved you know be the public at large the jockeys the the, the owners the trainers etc etc so I think very much the, the the line should be listen to the authorities listen to the experts and kind of go by what by what they suggest so and that's kind of the way it should be and that's the way I, I assume that the French are going to take it so look fingers crossed it'd be brilliant brilliant to see some bit racing back in Europe on the 11th of May like nobody would be happier but I think very much the, the, the line has to be listen to those people who know best and, and follow what they say please God we'll be back in action sooner rather than later but the good news is we got Hong Kong and the great Graham Cunningham 
and the great Darren to uh, give us expert analysis. And then we've got your American and Australian tips as well. So we're sorted for the weekend and looking forward to reviewing it with Pete and with um, Barry and possibly yourself as well. How are you coping with the lockdown? Ah, look, it's grand, I suppose. I have a decent setup here to work from home. Um, my diet has probably gone out the window. So that's got to be the one thing. Uh, and, and diet and exercise have really kind of gone to pot. Um, watching a lot of TV, a lot of Netflix, Amazon Prime, Apple TV, uh, uh, all four subscription as well. So no shortage of television to watch. Um, or not, not television in its classic form, but television in its new form, as we discussed earlier on. So Nobody yeah, watches look. television on TV anymore. Genuinely, I actually don't remember the last time I turned on the television. Or, uh, to watch racing, actually, is probably the last time I turned on the television. To, to actually watch anything else, be it a film or a television show, I really don't remember the last time I flipped onto a television channel, you know? Yeah, we don't do it anymore. We just don't. No, it's just, if, if it went out with the Indians, you know? Um, <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd really, I'd recommend... Uh, the, the Man in the High Castle on Amazon on Prime Video is really worth the watch. Oh, it's uh, well based on a, on a novel. Yeah, absolutely phenomenal TV. And I started another one then last night called The Boys. Um, it's a, kind of a superhero y sort of a thing, which probably suits you. But uh, yeah, I, those two are really good watches. I, I'd say get stuck into those um, if you have Amazon Prime. It's actually, I didn't realize the kind of the. The, the, the wide variety of programs that she had on it and it's not a plug for them by any manner of means but um, yeah some, some excellent excellent productions on it I'm pretty sure Jeff Bezos is doing okay I don't think he, he needs us to do the plug for him but uh, no he, do, he certainly doesn't need a plug from, from the likes of myself and yourself yeah and also uh, just Jeff I do use your site an awful lot but uh, it'll be a cold day in hell before I use uh, an Amazon phone or Alexa because you clearly listen to everything that's being said. Yeah, I said it, Bezos. I said it. And we'd like to welcome Amazon on board as a sponsor to the podcast. Um, and if you're listening to this on your Alexa and it suddenly stops playing, then sorry. Um, just to kind of lean in a little bit more on, on the, the boys, because you were saying you'll love that because it's a superhero show. That's a very twisted, dark, very, very different take on the superhero genre. And it's brilliant because of it. Like it isn't, it's not what you expect it to be at all. This is it. Yeah. Look, as in, look, they've, they've done the original sort of superhero thing five million times over. Now I'm only two episodes in, but so far it's, it's, it's really kind of got my attention and I'm looking forward to getting stuck into it more once I uh, clock off this evening. So, but no, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Like as in, it's, it's a very different take, as you say, on the typical sort of happy, clappy superhero that's, that we're used to. John Dance and I were talking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe on Friday. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. Um, couldn't recommend it enough, but this is... These superheroes, they're not nice people. What if superheroes were not nice? That's kind of what The Boys is. It's um, it's very interesting, and Carl Urban is in it as well. Uh, on Apple Plus, Apple TV Plus, The Truth Be Told, Truth Be Told, um, okay. that's, that's a drama series about um, a journalist and a documentary maker who's doing a true crime podcast. And Aaron okay. Hall, he's the one who is in jail. And it's a case of, should he be? Did he actually commit this crime? And he's already served okay, quite good. a few years. So that's very good. Uh, the Morning Show, if you haven't seen it yet, is very good. For All Mankind on Apple Plus, I would highly recommend as well. And just as you're mentioning Prime Video, Hunters stars Al Pacino. Have you seen that yet? Haven't seen it yet. No, I haven't seen it yet. I definitely can, can look into it. Hunters has one of the most disturbing opening sequences to a TV series that I have ever seen, and it's brilliant. Okay, right, yeah, stick down the list, and God knows I'm all else to be at, so I can go down the list. And I think, 
Bosch season six just dropped. Oh, my day is sorted. Season six of Bosch. Happy days. Uh, Bosch is brilliant. Season one to six, all available on Amazon Prime. Uh, that's it. That's our TV portion of the show done. Uh, Darren, enjoy lockdown. Enjoy watching the boys. It only gets better. And um, stay safe, my friend. I'm looking forward to having you on the show again. Thanks so much for your insight. Lovely, Emma. Thanks, Lily. Thanks, for everyone. Speak to you soon. And thank you for all the kind words on social media and for listening to the show as well. Uh, a lot of you getting in touch saying that you're delighted that the show is still going. And and um, how you're doing various different things by listening to the show. Delighted that you're enjoying it. We're just doing a show. So stay safe, stay well. If you're working on the front line, you're a hero. Don't know how you're doing it. And um, hopefully we can distract your mind and entertain you. But um, we're with you. Stay safe, mind yourself, and we'll chat to you on Monday. God bless. Will it happen or won't it happen? You can bet on it with the Betfair Exchange. Proud sponsors of the Final Furlong Podcast. Have you downloaded the free app, The Races app yet? With easy to use race cards and form, expert daily tips, plus video replays and in-app betting, it's the app that no racing fan's phone should be without. Available for free on your iPhone or Android mobile, visit attheracescom forward slash app for more details.